bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the fed. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict and my hope was found in a needle. eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't Freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses Freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, E.J. McDerris. Hello. Glad to have you today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. So One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries, and we explore the intimate details of people's lives. And uh, one of the things we say is the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And you see people going up and down the street who are struggling with different issues. Um, some of it is mental illness. Some of it is uh, addiction or even mental illness that's driven by addiction. And you think sometimes you don't realize what that person might have been through. And so my goal is to have credible people on here that have powerful stories that can open up their tent and uh, people can look in and see uh, the, the things that have happened to you, right? And uh, that God can bring somebody that comes from that background who was messed up yeah. in a bad way and now successful in life. And so... Yeah. Um, we're going to explore your life today, um, so thank you for coming on and hanging with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, John. A couple verses that I really like to cling to here on the show is uh, Psalms fifty-one seventeen. Uh, David says, um, "The sacrifice of God are a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. These things God won't despise." So God uh, reaches into the brokenness of people, and it's when you're broken you turn to God, right? Amen. And then. Philippians 1.12 says, Brethren, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, Paul says, All the things that have happened to me have turned out to where I've been able to make the gospel go different places that it hadn't gone before. Yeah. And so as we just walk through your life, EJ, as our friends are listening and watching, uh, give us a brief just a couple minutes here. Uh, what was your life like growing up? Well, I was an only child. And uh, my dad was in and out of prison all my life, and my mom was a workaholic. And so there was never anyone around to tell me no. And uh, just growing up as an only child, I, I learned uh, to use my imagination a lot. And uh, I knew that if I kept quiet and kept to myself, I could get away with about anything I wanted to, you know, because there's no one around. And uh, that kind of become my obsession, was getting away with stuff as a kid, you know. and flying under the radar, so it didn't go so hot for me later on in life, though. Okay. So your dad's in and out of prison, mm -hmm. single mom, <clears throat> so you probably have a soft place in your heart for single mothers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, me yeah. too. And I think a lot of people that come from a background of, like ours, as we'll kind of explore your life, yeah. 
were raised by single moms and whoever she brought home that week or month or whatever. Uh, And so tell us, tell us when your drug use started. So the first time I ever did any type of drug, I remember being uh, second grade. I was around some older guys and I tried Rush. It was a little vial of stuff and I I remember hacking that. Um, At that point in my life, I was, my dad, I lived with my dad at, at that age and it was okay to drink beer or anything that he had, you know, in his bar. I, I had all access. No one told me no. And that was a time it was funny. You know what I'm saying? The adults would see a kid, you know, doing stuff like that, smoking a cigarette or drinking beer, you know. I remember drinking peppermint schnapps and that, you know, as a, as a little kid, you know. But that's when it all got started. My, uh, <clears throat> my mom raised me on a bar stool. She was a bar- bartender at a biker bar called The Jungle. Yep. And uh, she didn't have a babysitter. So I would sit there, you know, yep. second grader, first grader. Yeah. And uh, so back then, you know, it's a different world. So super similar to that. Uh, my mom worked overnight, right? So she would sleep all day. And I had uh, one of my dad's sisters. She babysat me. And she raised me on a bar stool. She would drag me up and down Commercial Street at that time. There were several different bars all the way down that street. And she would go there and, and drink all day. You know, we'd be at the Eagles Lodge and we'd go over to Cotton's and just kind of pop down, you know, the place. But yeah, I was shooting pool, drinking Shirley Temples and raised on a bar stool myself. So I understand that. Yep. So how long have you been clean and sober? Let's see. What year is it? 2025. It's, it's, it's been, um, let's say, 12 years. 2023, I was just testing you. but it, It's going to be the same answer, though. 12 years. It's been about 12 years. Yep. Good. So you're a successful person today. Uh, you have a business. I do. Uh, you're happy to be my barber. I am. Which is cool. Yep. Um, so God has brought you along the way. And so we're going to kind of walk through, you know, that guy growing up. Uh, using drugs, alcohol, uh, but, and the only way we can do that is kind of talk through your family past. So okay. let's just talk from, let's go from the, the young boy who's walking down Commercial Street, who's got the dad, who's got the bar, and, you know, you're drinking and stuff. And so uh, let's walk through what happened in your life. Where did you, to your, to your dark times? Uh, okay, so I remember my first day of kindergarten, um, I had sheriffs in the driveway of my house, and they, they took my dad to prison that same day I went to my first day of school. And uh, my dad set me down in my room. Uh, he put me on his knee, and I remember he was picking at his fingernails, and he, he, I could tell that he wanted to say something but didn't know quite what to say. He said, i got to go away for a while. And uh, he kept looking at his nails. He said, but it's really important you keep your hands clean in this world. He said, um, you got to be the man of the house now. And... Uh, I didn't understand what was going on. You know, I went off to school, uh, kindergarten as a little boy, and I had to come back and be a man that same day, you know. And so uh, my life was difficult. I was raised in in prison visiting rooms. Uh, My dad did a total of, like, uh, 16 years, calendar years, you know, and those were all, depending on who you ask, what are the most influential years of of a person's life, you know, you're going to get different stories about that. But it seemed like all of those times... Uh, my dad was locked up, and uh, so it, it was just 
losing him and, and my mom working, you know, just kind of being to myself. And uh, being to myself was scary. That's when I, I got my first addiction wasn't drugs and alcohol, you know. Um, I'd sneak off into the attic, and I, I found a stack of pornography magazines, you know, hardcore back-in-the-day stuff, and that was my first addiction. And I couldn't even tell you what it was, but I, I knew that I, I enjoyed it, and I knew it was wrong, you know, and so I hid that. And uh, I just think back now all the damage that pornography did to me at that age. Just, I, what are you, six years old in kindergarten? You know, this is where I'm at, and and uh, I'm, I'm alone. I'm lonely at six years old, you know, and... Uh, so my, my life growing up like that, it was just, there was not a whole lot of structure. There's a lot of, I was a scared little boy that grew up to be a scared little boy, you know, at the, at the end of the day. And um, man, I, I believe that our sin, if, if it goes unchecked, it snowballs. And when you start rolling a snowball at six years old, it gets pretty massive. And so that's just was my entire life, was uh, pursuing things that, I, I knew it wasn't right, but for some reason I wanted to do it anyway. And so, you're, uh, who'd you look up to as a youngster, EJ? Your dad's in prison and out. Who was your heroes? I looked up to my dad. Um, it was weird because my dad pulled some strings and he was able to stay locally in federal prisons. And uh, he, he just knew people, you know. And so, I had a relationship with my dad. Um, it would be through writing letters, you know, uh, my mom, you know, would help me read those and I could write back to him. I, I had an opportunity every, uh, it was either Saturday or Sunday, I would go, they would drop me off. I had special privileges and I would sit with my dad all day long in prison, you know, and uh, it would be from like eight to 3.30 and it would be he and I, <clears throat> my parents got a divorce whenever he was in that, that bit there. And um, so it was just me and him. You know, and, and I did look up to him, you know what I mean? Everything he was, I, I thought, you know, to be a man, it's about how much money you have in your pocket. It's about how many women, you know, you can have on your, your Rolodex. And, and it was just like everything that I was taught about what's important or what defines you as a man um, was wrong way wrong, you know, but those principles were instilled in me. And my dad, he, he took great pride in raising me as a bad guy because he want, he wanted to teach me everything so I could be a successful bad guy to, to the areas where he failed. He would pour into me that I would be better at that, and this is how you do these things. So I was discipled in a very negative way at a very early age by my dad to be a bad guy. So, we, so I looked up to him. We tell people the devil is also a fisher of men. Mm. And, um, you know, growing up in that background, being a criminal is a job skill. Yep. We had a guy that I was very good friends with, Mikey, and his dad uh, taught him the rules are for other people. And uh, he would actually take him with him when he was elementary age and push windows up, put him through the window, and have him go unlock the door for him so he could breaking places and stuff. And so uh, so we're talking through that. Um, so what about, so you talk about your dad, your mother's relationship growing up, what was that like? So I, I was a mama's boy. You know, I I had compassion for my mom growing up because her, her life was, you know, all she did was work, 
you know, and, and when my mom and dad were married, my mom didn't drink alcohol. She didn't cuss. You know, she was like, she was pretty straight laced. She's just a hard worker. You know what I mean? She worked really hard and she come from a country family, you know, all, all respectable people. And, and I love my mom, but when, when my dad got locked up, my mom changed and she got into a relationship uh, with, uh, who's now my stepdad. Um, he was very abusive to her physically and emotionally. And uh, he, he, he turned her into a life of drugs. Um, and so now uh, my dad's locked up. My mom has a new man in her life and uh, he's beating the fire out of her man. And I mean, they're strung out on cocaine and high, highly functioning uh, drug addicts, you know what I mean? So again, now I'm watching this and it's like, oh, you can be a drug addict if you're highly functioning, you can really get away with some stuff. You know, and this was all applicable to the things that my dad was teaching me. So now my tool bag is like, man, the sky's the limit, you know? And that was kind of how I ran with things. So. <clears throat> so when you grew up, and I know your stepdad, and you would never, ever, ever believe that he would have been that guy. Right, amen. And, you know, that's what God does. He changes amen. people, doesn't he? Yes, and so, um, so your dad... Uh, Where's your dad today? Dead. Okay. And I, I wish I didn't know where my dad was at today. Yeah. But I don't. And so you uh, you grow up to be a father. Yeah. So let's talk through. Uh, first of all, I just have a question of how did your mom handle your drug addiction? Right alongside with me. Okay. So she was your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever told me no. So what grade did you finish school, EJ? I graduated high school. Uh, I was a golden boy in school. I, I got really good grades. I participated in student government, uh, all, all the sports I could be in. I mean, I excelled. School was actually one place. It was it was a structured environment, and I, and I did. I felt safe there, and I enjoyed that time. I'm a social person, so I, I like doing all that stuff. But when I wasn't in school, man, I flipped that switch, and I was a completely different person. So, when did you know your life was out of control? Let's go to that, like that, down that hill. So, yeah, yeah so. Um, from school to the that place. Yeah, when I got out of high school, um, I tried cocaine once for about three and a half years. And uh, that's that's when I realized that there's more going on than I really need to be involved in. And so the brokenness that came with it, it, it was a mad scramble for me to be on top to make my dad proud of me to, to run above the law and, and beneath all the radar that I can do all these things. And I start, I started an enterprise with, you know, being, with being bad again. And it was like, I was miserable though. You know what I mean? I, I really was. It wasn't, uh, it was fun till it wasn't, you know what I mean? And then, so what, I mean, what spiraled down and just kept doing that is, Again, like with it, when your sin goes unchecked, it just snowballs, and it, that life doesn't get better. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? As long as you're continuing, as long as I was continuing the path that I was continuing in, it was progressively getting worse. And that started, like I said, from a little boy, that scared little boy that grew up to be a scared little boy, it just kept going. 
So when did I know that my life was out of control? Man, I couldn't tell you a date on it, but I, I was well aware of the fact that it always was, and it was just waiting for something to happen. So uh, when did you start trying to get clean? No. Uh, oh, usually when I was up too many days at a time, I started trying to get clean. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things, uh, the cycle that you get in, you know, it's fun till it's not, and then you live with this deep regret, you know, and, and then so you white knuckle sobriety and try to hold on to it as long as you can. Then you become restless, irritable, and discontent. And so what do you do? You go back to your habits, the thing that makes you feel good. And um, that's my whole life is, you know, what makes me feel good? And that's what I want to do, just complete selfishness. So you were a functioning addict. Very much so. And you learned that yeah. from other people, right? Yes. So that was different for me and many people. Uh, who I know there are a lot of functioning addicts out there. Um, there, you know, there's some men that are different men behind the pulpit than they are behind the car, you know, behind the wheel uh, or at home. But uh, there, that's you know, functioning too, right? Yeah. But um, I remember <clears throat> there's not a <laughs> my nephew Keith. He told me one time. He said, "I know if you're getting high because you won't have any money." Mm -hmm. I mean, I would just it would be over with, you know. I wouldn't have a phone. I wouldn't have money. I wouldn't have, I, you know, it would be gone. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's people who can function and use drugs. And there's some, if I relapsed today, you'd see me on mug shots in a week. Yeah. Guarantee it. And uh, so there's a difference, right? Yeah. Um, but you were a functioning addict. You had a business. Mm -hmm. And uh, you worked every day. And you had customers in your barbershop. Yeah. And, then, um, and then you would use drugs so. yeah so my barbershop was complete immorality anything you wanted I could get there's two reasons I was a drug dealer and I was the barber you know what I mean so with that you have you know everybody you can get anything you know and you've got a constant flow of people running in and out of your your shop you know and it's like sky's the limit and me being an ego trip you know uh, big number one here I, I prided in that you know what do you need I'll, I'll take care of it and so it, it was it was easy to function with the career choice that I took. And I, t I, you know, that was all by design, you know, honestly, so I could do whatever I wanted to do. So when did your life finally spiral all the way out of control? Uh, it was March, it was the second week of March in 2012. And, um, I had pretty much, I had, uh, this is the part you got to talk about to get to the good stuff, though. I, uh, you talk about whatever you feel comfortable talking about. Yeah, well, <clears throat> there was a time in my addiction when I was, I, like I said, with the cocaine and all that stuff that I had going on, um, I got a girl pregnant. And I thought, okay, this is going to be my savior. This is going to be my way out. And um, so I, I shut down the operation. I did everything I needed to do to get out of that. And um, I thought being a dad is going to help me. It's going to heal me. It's going to make everything better. I'm going to do better than my dad ever did. And, and, and this is going to be the thing that changes my life, you know. And, and I banked on that. So I walked real straight, you know. Um, 
bought a house, had a house on a corner lot, you know, um, I, I, I got married to this lady and, uh, she had a really good job and she had a, a little girl and she was my daughter from the age of, I, I, from five to 18, she was my little girl. And, and, um, I thought that this family element was going to be what, you know, slowed me down. And it did for a little while until it didn't. Then it was back into my cycle of things. <clears throat> and um, I destroyed that family. I, I went from, it was weird because I went from being a, a drug dealer to just a drug user. Now I'm doing things all different, you know what I mean? And the stress of that and, and everything that's taking place. So I'm, I'm going through this and uh, I got, got the house, the cars, the boats, the, you know, I got a wife with a good job, two kids. Uh, I own a business now, and uh, I'm miserable. You know, it all comes back. I'm just, it's not, it's not doing it for me. It's not setting me free. It's not, I'm not, I'm for sure not the man I thought I was going to be because I didn't even really know who that man was supposed to be. And so now I'm doing everything my dad did. And it's like, oh my goodness, what, you know, what has taken place? And so uh, through my misery, I, I, uh, I started burning every bridge and I just fell into my addiction and I was miserable. I was, I was very much around people, but I was very lonely, you know, and a uh, scared little boy that grew up to be a scared little boy. Um, things were going so well that I hit the self-destruct button. I didn't know what else to do. And, uh, it was at that time, um, when I destroyed that family, I left the family and I went out in my sin, I was having an adulterous affair. Know, and and um, I took that girl down through there with me. You know what I'm saying? Through all the all the garbage and the junk, I lost my business, lost my home. I lost, I mean, absolutely everything. And uh, now I'm just a dope fiend. You know, running around pleasing EJ, making me happy. And and I mean, I'm harming everyone. I burn every bridge. I've cried. I've lost everything. I am absolutely at my at my bottom. And uh, it was. The first part of March, um, I had a drug overdose, two. And um, my then girlfriend, now wife, witnessed that. And uh, I believe that the Lord started making a change right then. She witnessed that. It scared her. Didn't scare me. Didn't care. You know what I mean? And um, when she witnessed that, um, it's crazy because we... The reason why I had a drug overdose is because I was, this is so stupid to say this, but listen to this. I was having a practice run for the weekend because we were going to go out of town and I needed to know exactly how much material that we're going to need to go and, you know, conduct ourselves the way I planned on. And uh, so that was too much. But anyway, her birthday was coming up and that was March 18th. And um, when she saw me overdose and I mean, the police were called, it was the whole big, you know, crazy scene, uh, she made a promise to a God that she did not know. She said, save our lives, and uh, and I, I, I will live for you. And, I mean, so she grew up Jehovah's Witness. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stories, you know, that go behind that. But um, anyway, so we are now being faced with the weekend that we were going to go take off on. And uh, her birthday wish after that drug overdose was, I want you to take me to church. And I was like, I am not taking you to church. And so anyway, we went to church that weekend. And uh, you did it. Yeah, I, it wasn't, 
I was being crushed by the weight of everything. I had nothing else to. What's interesting is you had a vehicle. Did I have a vehicle? Yeah. A few of them. And you had a house to live in. A few of them. And so uh, your rock bottom, um, and I, we teach this, is rock bottom is not a place, it's a state of mind. Oh. And so, you know, I didn't have nothing. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't stop when I lost dignity or overdosed or you know it's it's so it's just weird to me it's just different how, how it works yeah. on but you know yeah. that broken place yeah and so uh but you were functioning you learn how to be functioning and um and you're you're finally you had enough so you go to church with your mom and dad yes okay and uh, so they're saved now at the time right well you think they think they are and they're in church they're clean Correct. and sober yes okay so sober mom sober stepdad who's not the jerk he used to be. Amen. Sweet crybaby. Yeah. Likes I, lo- to hug, I love him. Likes to hug you and kiss you yeah. all the time, make you feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he likes to pinch me on the side. Uh, he carries your your mom's purse everywhere, you yes. know. And uh, He told you that's my mom's? <laughs> I always give him a hard time about that purse. That's his, anyway, that's his purse. I know. Yeah. Uh, we love him anyway. Amen. But, um, and so... They say, well, come with us, I guess, huh? Or you call them and say, we, I want to go to church with you. Yeah, I called them and said, we're going to church. Okay. Yeah. And they were probably like, I answer prayer. Yeah, I don't even know what that looked like on their end. I haven't really thought that through, but I'm sure it was pretty exciting. You should ask them. I will. What What did you do when I said, I want to come to church? Yeah, okay. Have you been praying about that? How that? Because you might get some more, you know, thought through that, like yeah. how that worked out. Yeah. So you go to church, and what happens? Yes. So... Sitting in the back row of this small Southern Baptist church, um, we were a wreck. I mean, we, we looked and smelled like it. It wasn't, you know, there was no facade being put on. I'm showing up broken, you know, and I, I had had enough church experience that I understood how it all operated, you know what I mean? I made a couple professions of faith in my life, actually. Okay. And, um, so anyway, sitting there on that back row, um, I believe that the Spirit of God used the Word of God to convict me of my sin, to show me that, hey, you're an absolute dirtbag and everything you're done is exposed now. Yeah. And I remember listening to that little preacher, and th- probably the reason why I never asked my mom, you know, what did you think about me being at church that day is because I thought my mom had told on me everything I ever did because everything that was coming out of that preacher's mouth, he was hitting me in the head with it, and I was like, oh, she... I'm thinking then my thought process, she rat snitched on me about everything I've ever done. This guy's up here letting me have it, you know what I mean? So I was a little frustrated. Um, but, man, when it got to the altar call, I mean, I, I was a mess. And this, my then-girlfriend, now wife, she's sitting there, and she was taught as a kid in the influence of her religion that if you go to a, a church that is not a kingdom hall, you're inviting demons to possess you, to come home with you, to be a part of your life if you do that. And so she's scared to death, you know, sitting there. But an altar time came. And I knew that there's power at the altar. I, you know, I, I knew that I can go and I, I can I can ask for forgiveness, you know, and, and I can cry out to God. And I wasn't real sure what was going to happen, but, I mean, I was up and at him, and I grabbed her hand. And as soon as I did, they split us up, you know. They, they took her one way and me the other way. And uh, it was that day. It was March 12th, March 18th, 2012, 
that the Spirit of God used the Word of God. He, he, he knocked me silly with it, and he gave me another opportunity. He did. Amen. So uh, now you're saved. Amen. And you're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and so you, when I met you, um, <laughs> you were at Midnight Dolan's Barbershop. Yeah. And uh, we became friends through Dave Montgomery. And so uh, you started coming to Freeway with Davey, and we were in the same courtroom together. I think that's how I met you. Yeah. And, and you uh, offered to cut my hair. Yeah. And so um, so what's life like for you now? I mean, let's talk through that journey. Uh, your wife is uh, battling, uh, you know, being a Jehovah's Witness, coming from that background, having to deal with all of the false, you know, truth yes. in that and uh, yeah. false teaching. And uh, so she's working her way through that, in which she's a phenomenal young woman who, yeah. you know, can really use that for God's glory now. But yeah. um, And so and then you and her together, and you're trying to figure it out. So what happened next? Well, so we get plugged in at Freeway, right? And Dave's like, come on, we, you know, this is what happens. And, and I remember coming to Freeway, and I, I learned some really key words, um, surrender. Surrender. And so I'm checking this off, and I'm going back to my small Southern Baptist church, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm applying everything that I'm, I'm taking, you know, underneath your teaching and, and the discipleship of other guys. And everybody's running around talking about discipleship. And so I go to my pastor, and I was like, hey, I need, I need to be discipled. He's like, what does that mean? I said, I have no idea. But everybody at Freeway is doing it, and it's working. So. He didn't know what it meant? He asked me if I knew what it meant. Oh, okay. It, I'm, yeah, he knew what it meant. He was like, do you know? Why are you asking me this? You know, and I was like, I, I don't know. But but everyone over here is doing it. It's working. We need to be discipled. And, and so he sets this up, right? And so my wife, she's like, the, the Lord is really uh, just bless her with the ability to understand his word, to, to teach his word. She was so misled that she, she got into this discipleship stuff hard. I mean, she was like gun for it. I didn't collectively read a book, you know, those 35 years of my life, you know what I mean? So I'm not quite as hungry as she is with the discipleship thing. And I mean, she's growing, she's learning, she's always reading her Bible. And, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't pacing with her that fast, you know what I mean? Um, so when, whenever we took off on that, uh, I'm sorry, I got, I, no, right. I got sidetracked on, you know, all that stuff, but th it was anyway, uh, so she was, you was being discipled. She was blessed to yes. be able to understand God's word. Yes. And uh, we're talking about like your journey. Yeah. So we join up at Crossway. You know, we decided that we need to get in tighter with our family uh, at Crossway. We move over there. And um, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about the times, you know, that we spent early in our walk and what that was like growing in the word, you know, and, and just not, sometimes you think you know stuff, but you just don't, you know, and it's crazy to see how when God starts showing you truth, you know, and then so all along our journey, all along our way, it's just thinking back to see how, how his hand has been on our life through discipleship, through the word of God, it's it's almost overwhelming just to think about like how much how impactful the word of god has been in our life so so you become a disciple 
Yes. And you join another church. Yes. Get plugged in. Uh, and so where are you at today? I mean, what's your life look like today, AJ? Oh, blessed. Blessed beyond all measure. So uh, now we still have a barbershop, barbershop and salon, and uh, it's our ministry. You know, it's set up. Um, we started uh, serving the Lord together. We cut hair together. That's our ministry together. Um, five years ago, I started a men's group on Monday nights. I was like, I, I need to open this place up and use it for God's glory. And so we started a Bible study, and that was five years ago. And there has been uh, sorry, probably hundreds of guys that has come through, you know, and, and we've gone through many different studies, studied many different books, you know. So we're, we're doing that. My wife right now, she is uh, – she is doing a discipleship program on Monday nights at the church, and there's lots of you know lots of women involved in that. Um, they, I, I now have a Bible fellowship class at Crossway that I get to the, you know teach every week, and and uh, it's a big class. I mean, it's growing, it's going good. Um, my relationship with my mom is outstanding. Uh, my relationship with my stepdad is outstanding. Um, I'm a grandpa, and. And my son is a man of God. And uh, no drinking, no drugs. One wife. He's got a baby on the ground and one on the way. They join the church too. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe with everything in me that that my son and my daughter-in-law they're saved and they're they're doing everything right, man. And it is an absolute blessing to see. For sure. It's cool, man. Yeah. You know. Uh, there's a lot of statistics that go into the father going to prison at a young age, being raised by a single mother, drugs in the home. I mean, the yeah. statistics for you to be in prison and your son to be in prison are pretty high. Amen. Yep. And, uh, you know, I know Trey. Yeah. And he's a sweet kid. And uh, he's a good kid, man. He's he's doing it. Fine so, young man. Fine young man. So for you not to be, you know, you know, for me, my son wants to be a high patrolman. And uh, he wants to go into the military, and and I encourage that. You yeah. know, coming from my background, you don't encourage your son to be a police officer. Right. But uh, for me, it's that cool. me mentality is gone. Yeah. And so it's like a hopefully a generational thing. I'm, Amen. I'm one. You know, he's never visited me in prisons. Amen. I grew up in prison visiting rooms like you. Yeah. And uh, and so for our kids not to see us drunk high, hear us cuss, see us beat our wives visit us in jail cells and prisons, watching us bag dope up. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. And so uh, God did that. So what challenges do you face today, EJ? Consistency. The, that's a challenge. I, I, I just want to pursue God with everything in me. You know what I mean? I want to be consistent. That's a challenge for me. You know what I mean? So the great theologian Mike Tyson... <laughs> He said, uh, discipline is loving. Hey, doing what you hate to do so much, it looks like you love it. Yeah. And uh, that's what it takes, right, yeah. in this walk. Yes. And so you're a man of God. You want to be pure and holy, and you want to walk in truth. Yeah. And that's tough. Very tough. Because now, I tell people, I was telling someone today or yesterday, you know, my job in the ministry God has given me 
depends on my morality and my ethics and my character, you know, my integrity. I'm not a truck driver. I can't go get drunk and do something stupid and come back to work the next day, you know. Uh, our ministries depend on our morality and our ethics. Yeah. And, you know, you, you ha- you're living with a wife who you have a past with, yeah. you know, and uh, and you guys are sinners. And not only do you live with her, but you work with her every day. Yeah. And so I feel some of that, you know, because, you know, my wife works with me two days a week. She's here. Yeah. But uh, that's tough. There's some challenges, man. Yeah. And so... You ain't saying the word. Look, get me caught up on yeah, camera. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell us how tough that is for you. No. Yeah, my wife knows. I'm, you know. No, hey, so my my wife and I, we worked together for a long time before all that stuff went down. So we know how to, to coexist in the shop. And so it's it's really not that big. She she's my best friend too, so it's easy. I love her. And she hold holds my feet to the fire quite a bit. So I, I lean on her a lot, you know, uh, and she leans on me. We, we do this together, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I think the reason it's pretty natural for us is because we're very transparent. We came from the dirt together, you know, and there's, it's transparent. There's nothing, nothing hit up. There's no, nothing up my sleeve, you know, nothing's held back. And, and so we've both been forgiven of much so we can forgive much. It's hard. It is. Uh, you know, as Pastor Eddie calls it, intense fellowship. And I think the biggest challenges for me are the closest relationships I have. Sure. And so being a good father, being a good husband, being a good uh, employer, and um, trying to oversee people's lives and make sure that I don't make a dumb decision off of some kind of emotion yeah. to shipwreck something or hurt somebody, you know. Um, the Bible says that we watch over people's souls, and so it's a big deal. So whenever, uh, when I talk to people, sometimes they'll be coming to the program and they'll be, you know, 25 years old with nothing. They'll feel like their life is over. Yeah. I tell them I was 30 years old when I went to prison, and I had nothing. And I was 32 when I got out, started over. So you're ahead of me, right? So what would you say to somebody who's 35 years old, it's like the life is over. They've uh, they've got a dark, they're in a dark place, and they're watching this right now. Feel like the, they feel like their life is over. Yeah, they're good. Let up. it be over. Yeah. In that, and what I mean by that is turn from that and trust in Jesus. I'm I'm telling you, we got the keys. I know the way out now. You know what I mean? And that's my heart cry, is that. I feel like, it's weird, but I feel like I know the secret, and it's not even a secret, you know what I mean? It's the gospel, but I feel like I just need to talk to people about this because I I can tell you how to get free, and it's through the blood of Jesus, period. There's no other way. You want to have peace. The only way we can have peace is is if you're covered by the blood of Jesus to repent of your sins and and believe in what Jesus did on the cross, period. And, And, you know, it is a secret because the Bible calls it a mystery, and God has given you made you a steward of the mysteries of God. Yeah. And so you have that now, you know, know. And, and so do I. And so um, what brings you joy today? My salvation. The, the life that I am, I am blessed with here on earth is cool. It's good. But there's so much more. My hope extends so much farther than 
right here in, in Springfield and this earthly tent that I'm in right now. Well, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what God's done in your life, brother. He's good, man. Love He's you in the Lord. Love you too. You and your wife. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode of, of One Broken Life, uh, you want to help us continue to do this and reach people, um, you can become a subscriber. You can you can subscribe to one of our channels, whether it's Spotify or YouTube, or you can uh, you want to help out. This is a production of Freeway Ministries. You can go to uh, freeway-ministries.com and you can become a supporter and help us continue to do this. And so very thankful today to have you guys um, share this with your friends and pray for us. And so pray for EJ and Jesse. Yeah. And until next time. John Stroop, One Broken Life, thank you.